The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very good morning to you. Let me tell you who's on set. We've got Jumana Basetti, myself, Steve Sedgwick, and our leader, Jeff Cutmore, in Salzburg. These are your headlines. Asian stocks falling Wall Street lower amid fears of less aggressive Fed action next week. Uh, next week, this after the ECB, uh, apparently, which I thought was pretty dovish, was not as dovish as expected. However, that being said, Steve, Mario Draghi has teed up a fresh package of easing measures for September, drawing fire from, among others, the German Banking Association. We're going to be talking about that with top politicians and bankers here at the Salzburg Summit. Amazon's second quarter misses on the bottom line as its record profit streak comes to an end, sending shares lower in extended trade. But Alphabet pops after hours as Google's parent company beats expectations and also announces a $25 billion share buyback. I consider myself a bit of a student of the auto sector, i.e. always learning but never really know the final result. And I think a lot of us are in this bracket. Are they finance companies? Are they automobile uh, manufacturers that can make profitable vehicles? Are they a dead and buried industry which is going to get overwhelmed by technology, an industry which has got so many things wrong, including their love of the internal combustion engine well into the 21st century, and indeed their expectations for enormous emerging market stroke Chinese growth. So when I look at a stock like Renault, which is down 28.6% over the last 12 months, 4.9 times forward, listen to that, 4.9 times forward, trading roughly a third of a valuation of a CAC 40. I do wonder if there's ever going to be a turning point. Is this amazing value or is it a value trap? With this in mind, the operating margin was 5.9% in the first half over at Renault, but it says it now sees 2019 sales as being close to the sales levels registered last year, i.e., it expects no growth this year, okay? Now, bear in mind, I've just said that. It expects no growth in sales this year, i.e., close to the levels of last year, and yet, and yet that is going to put enormous pressure on the second half of the year revenues, given the fact that the first half revenues were down 6.4%. So listen to what I just said. They're talking about flattish revenues for 2019, but they've already seen a 6.4% decline in the first half of the year. That is an enormous turnaround if indeed it happens. But they are confirming their targets for having uh, positive free cash flow uh, in the key automotive unit, looking for... Uh, positive free cash flow in the key automotive unit. And I'd say that because I'm just going to check one more number for you. Here we go. Uh, automotive operational free cash flow as of the 30th of June was negative 716 million euros, primarily because of an investment increase. I mentioned ICE, they're getting to EV. So herein lies the point. The second half of the year is already loaded 
for Renault. That's my interpretation, given the fact that sales were so down so badly in the first half year, but it seemed getting to flat for the whole year. And the cash flow, which was negative in the operational level on the automotive side, was negative 716. And yet they're talking about getting uh, to positive free cash flow uh, in that operation. It seems a heady mix, but an undervalued stock. But is it undervalued? And is it just an example of actually companies which are stretched but not making margin. Well, very interesting session on Wall Street last night. Jumana Bassetti, welcome to Scorebox. Thank you, Steve. Uh, that is right. You can see right behind me, actually, it was an interesting session, but perhaps not the most positive session. A lot of red on the board, uh, with the Dow ending the day about half a percentage point lower, still above that 27,000 psychological mark. S&P down half a percentage point. And NASDAQ, the tech-heavy index, down about 1%. Every single sector in the U.S. was trading negative yesterday. And actually, the Dow, is now on track for negative performance on the week. And one of the key underperforming stocks in the Dow this week was Boeing, obviously with uh, lots of issues still remaining with that Boeing 737 MAX and the production and whether or not it will actually come back to market. So that was the picture for uh, yesterday's indices. Uh, I do want to point out that we had a lot of earnings that came out after the bell yesterday, and we're going to talk about some of them, but just some of the highlights here. Alphabet uh, trading up 7.9% in after hours, recovering almost half the losses in its trade performance and its price performance since the disappointing first quarter, uh, easing some investor concerns there about the growth of its advertising business. We also had Intel trade up 5% as well in after hours yesterday, beating on both top and bottom line. Not so much the case for Amazon. Uh, Their shareholders were a little bit disappointed by their second quarter uh, earnings, uh, and that stock traded down about 1.5%. So lots of earnings did come out after the hours, as we're still right in the heart of the earnings season for the S&P 5. Today, macro, you want to watch out for the Q2 GDP data to watch after very strong durable goods yesterday. Uh, But let's switch and uh, turn our attention to FX. And this is the picture this morning. And let's not forget that yesterday we did have that all-important ECB meeting. And actually the result, after everything that was almost pre-announced by the ECB in yesterday's press conference, is a pretty much unchanged year, if anything. We're trading a little bit higher than where we were. So investors were, for whatever reason, disappointed. They wanted more than what Draghi was able to deliver yesterday. We'll talk about that more on the show. And then Sterling, we have trading just shy of 125, 124.44 exactly is where we're at today. But again, uh, we had the first conversation between uh, European uh, uh, Commission President Jean-Claude Juncker and Prime Minister Boris Johnson yesterday. And it still seems as though there is a lot of daylight between the two sides that is being priced in to Sterling here. But let's switch on and talk about some of the price action in Asia overnight. We talked about the week session for Wall Street, not so much prettier for Asia. Nikkei down six tenths of a percentage point. One name in particular we're focused on there is Nissan. Uh, that stock was down 2%. Remember, alliance with Renault, Steve was just talking about the earnings there. Nissan uh, posted a 99% drop in operating profits earlier this week. So that's one of the uh, names that's lagging. Hang Seng also down half a percentage point. Very weak exports out of Hong Kong. Shanghai also trading a little bit below the flat line. And then the Aussie index down about three tenths of a percentage point as well. All right, let's switch to Europe and uh, talk about how these indices are going to open after a real roller coaster ride yesterday. At one point, the Italian index, Switzimib, was up 1% after uh, the initial 
statements out of the ECB. But as the press conference went on and on and on, European indices started dropping. And actually, by the end of the day, we had both the FTSE MIB and the German index trading deeply in lost territory, down 1%. So let's see whether investors will be a bit more sanguine about what was pre-announced yesterday. Pretty mixed picture now, but we'll see how things shape up in the next couple of hours. Remember, lots of earnings to get through as well in Europe. Excellent. Thank you very much indeed, Brian. Alphabet shares surged in after hours trade as the tech giant beat second quarter revenue and earnings forecast. Traffic acquisition costs were also lower than expected. The Google parent company announced plans to return cash to shareholders, revealing a $25 billion share buyback. $25 billion. Wow. Uh, Amazon beat revenue expectations in the second quarter, but missed on earnings as higher costs weighed on the bottom line. The online retailer is investing heavily in improving its one-day delivery times for Prime members. Shares in the firm fell in after-hours trade, not helped by lower-than-expected third-quarter guidance. But Elizabeth Shorty, I don't consider that much of a decline. When I've just looked at my chart, since 11th of September 2014, this stock is up 509%. Um, when you fall only 1.4% on the back of... Uh, huge, huge uh, increase in your valuation over the last few years, including the fact that you trade at 60 times forward. I wouldn't say that's much of a negative reaction, but am I being too too glossy on this one? That's why a lot of the investors this morning and after the report came out last night are saying this is a great buying opportunity. If you had done that in the past with Amazon, the returns would have paid off. 60 times forward, though. Well, let's, the valuation remains one of the big questions here when you look at this compared to the other companies it's competing with. But when you look at these sales numbers, $63.4 billion in revenues. Now, that was 20% growth on year on year. There had been some concern about Amazon sales growth after last quarter, and it looked like it rebounded on that front. But what the key concern here was this profit streak that it had kept going over the past four quarters, that ending with the EPS below estimates last night. 522 versus 557. The other metric we, we always watch with Amazon is this AWS number. And essentially, we saw a slowdown in revenue for AWS. Revenue growth growing 37%. So bear in mind, that's a slowdown. But it had been above 40% every time that Amazon had reported this metric since 2014. So that's a number that Analysts are looking at closely and saying, look, that's Amazon's high margin business. If we're seeing a slowdown in AWS, is it going to be able to keep up with these additional costs with shipping, with the other investments that it's making across the business? One thing that I thought was interesting from the earnings call is that when when they were asked about whether or not their guidance in the future takes into account any potential uh, (coughs) penalties on back of regulation and this new investigation out of the (coughs) Department of Justice into social media practices, uh, they didn't really comment on the matter. So that is certainly something that could weigh on investors' minds as you look forward to Amazon's potential going forward. They haven't addressed this regulatory concern head on. Amazon has been notoriously quiet on this concern, more so than maybe the other FANG companies out there on this. But it insists that it is not the same type of threat as perhaps some of the other internet companies because it's not dominant in the retail market. There are still a lot of competitors in brick and mortar and even in online sales, although we've seen its growing share of e-commerce certainly in the U.S. And that is why it looks like it's a target 
of this recent DOJ review. Well, apparently out of uh, all e-commerce that's done in the U.S., Amazon captures about 38 to 40 percent yeah. of that. So it is, it, it is a decent share. But if you look at it on a global scale, perhaps right. they, their share is a little bit smaller. But when it does come to competition, I thought it was interesting as well. Their heavy investment in that one day shipping. And obviously they came out with that very big initiative, but they've got competition in that space. And Walmart rolled out their own version. So if Amazon, uh, who are the leader when it comes to logistics, and delivery are saying, look, it's really costing us and it's eating into our margins, it's eating into our bottom line. What does that mean for the other big retailers who are actually trying to get on the bandwagon as well? Certainly tough to compete with a company that has this much cash, you know, trillion dollar company, at least close in market cap. But what we're talking about with the one day shipping is really interesting because they had come out and said this is going to cost them $800 million in the second quarter to make this happen. And ultimately, they've said now the costs are a little bit higher. So that is what is accounting for a little bit of the weakness in the share price, too, is how much higher are these costs exactly? And, and if if we are going to be making these types of investments and, and, you know, we saw Jeff Bezos in the release say it's going to pay off, you know. How do you know that's the case? Steve Mnuchin on Wednesday, and we talked about regulations briefly there, uh, said uh, Amazon had destroyed the retail industry. And, and I think that's a real great A-level question for all of us. Did Amazon destroy the retail industry? Has it? And I think the obvious glib answer is yes. But was it them or was it the rest of us? Was it, is that just the gun in yeah. our hand? Yeah. I'm not being funny. Uh, is it us who decided we wanted to go have everything immediately? Was mm -hmm. it us who decided we wanted it cheap? We couldn't be bothered to get into our SUV and stroll down to the, the mall or the high street or main street as well? Or was it regulation? Was it the governments that did it by extracting too much mm -hmm. uh, in local and uh, state taxation? Was it uh, also the landlords who charged too much for the retail industry? to So uh, to, it's very glib to say Amazon destroyed the retail industry. We're I think we can all look in the mirror, can't we? It is. I mean, we cannot fall victim to that if you just look at Prime Day. I mean, they, they, a lot of the reason for the guidance next quarter is because mm. there were good Prime Day numbers. And this is a, a day that Amazon has made up and millions of customers have mm. fallen into it and said, yes, I do want a deal on this and mm. I want next day shipping on it. So I think that the argument that Amazon makes as far as does, did it destroy the retail market, it says, we, a big part of our business continues to remain these third-party sellers, and we're helping them mm. boost their sales. We are, uh, you know, bringing them to the marketplace. I know a third-party seller who has an amazing business, and I'll tell you about it off-camera, who swears by Amazon compared with traditional um, retail partners as well. And says, yes, we have to give a margin away, but it's nowhere near as much as we have to give traditional retailers. So it's, it's an interesting argument. We have to leave it there. Thank you very much indeed. You coming back to Google? Because haven't really done yes. enough on that. Yeah. Good, that's lovely. <laughs> when are you doing that? I think 6.30, pretty soon, oh, Quite soon. I don't know about that. Um, okay. <laughs> right, let's move on. Let's have a quick look at Signify numbers. Well, second quarter sales, 1.5 billion euros. Operational profitability of 9%. Free cash flow of 121 million euros. Always a pleasure speaking to Eric Rondelat, CEO of Signify. So many questions. Really interested in your Chinese acquisitions as well. Why don't I give you an open question? Nice, easy one to start off with. What do you make of the half so far? Eric, good morning to you. Yes, good morning, Stephen. Uh, look, uh, in Q2, uh, we see our sales globally declining, but 
in a challenging market condition, especially in Europe. But when you look at our LED-based activities, they are continuing to grow and they're now mounting for 77% of what we are selling globally. So you've said it, our uh, operating margin has continued to expand by 60 basis points globally, but also 200 basis points if you look specifically at our growing profit engines. 121 million in free cash flow, so this is a healthy and solid performance, which has enabled us to do two acquisitions in Q2, and namely K-Lite that we have uh, commented upon uh, this morning in China. Eric, um, your 2 to 5% comparable sales growth target for the year, that looks challenging, doesn't it, given the fact that you're 1.9% in the first half, I believe? Yeah, but this is the growing um, profit engine target. 2 to 5%. And we believe that we have the plans uh, to achieve that in the uh, outer part of the year. You know, we have been uh, recording uh, very um, substantial projects uh, that are order in hands, you know, uh, at the end of Q2 that we will deliver an invoice uh, in the second part of the year. So we feel uh, fairly comfortable there. All right. And I've always asked you so many times ever since we've started chatting at your IPO about the threat from Chinese competitors as well and how you're facing down that. And you're giving us a bit of an answer today with the 51 percent acquisition of a Chinese provider is at Clite uh, Lighting, I believe it is. Tell us a little bit more about that. So K-Lite for us is a strategic acquisition. Uh, so it's a company which is in the Zhejiang province uh, in China, uh, sets to third around uh, 250 uh, million euro, and it is one of the leading manufacturers in LED lamps and also in LED luminaires and fixtures. Uh, so for us, it is a clear strategy where we want to continue investing in innovation and R&D capabilities, development capabilities in China, as well as manufacturing and production capabilities. As you know, we started in that journey of transformation in the lighting industry being mostly outsourced. And this is a strategic move for us uh, to get more control on the end-to-end -end supply chain uh, by making that acquisition. We also believe that we will be able, with K-Lite, as we're taking 51% of the shares, to develop to our customers and to their customers, private uh, and also private label, uh, a fantastic offer which is going to be innovative and cost-effective. Sir, I want to pick up and ask you about your margins. Uh, I see that your margin for the second quarter improved to 9%. That is up from 7.8% in the first quarter. So can you talk to me about where the margin improvement is coming from? And also, are you sticking to your 11% margin for the end of the year? So what we have said after the IPO, we had two years where we would be expanding uh, the gross margin and the outer years, the two last years, and we are in the last year after uh, the IPO, you know, in, in, in the horizon of time that we gave for the guidance, it would be uh, mostly coming from cost. And this is the case also today. We're gaining 60 basis points on our cost base, so it mostly comes uh, from our cost structure, which is, uh, which is, uh, which is coming down. At the end of the day, the expansion of the margin goes also through uh, acquisitions that we have talked about. Uh, and we've done a very successful one uh, you know, in China last year, which is delivering fantastic fruits uh, this year, uh, Light Magic 
in the facade lighting, but it also comes from innovation. So we've put on the market True Li-Fi. So Stephen, this is one for you. You can imagine that uh, tomorrow you're going to get uh, your internet information not coming from Wi-Fi, but coming from Li-Fi, meaning that the light will send you information. So faster than Wi-Fi, we can achieve today 150 uh, megabits per second in a large space or point to point 250 megabits, which is the equivalent of what you would do uh, with an Ethernet cable. It's more stable, uh, it is more secure because if you're not under the light, you cannot capture the signal. And at the same time, it's more sustainable because you're not living in radio waves. So these are also the type of things that we're doing, you know, innovating to the market to further enhance not only the top line, but also uh, the gross margin. Eric, you know I love all that. I thought I'd future-proof my home. It sounds like I need to rewire, but that sounds amazing. <laughs> Thank you very much indeed. Uh, always a pleasure, Eric. Thank you for your time, sir. Eric Rondela, who is the CEO of Signify. I'm going to move on very quickly to Nestle's. Nestle, to you and I. Um, they like their numbers. I don't know if the market's going to like it or not. There's a couple of issues in here. One, trading operating profit margin increased by 90 basis points to 15.5. So they're going to like that. But uh, the sales up by 3.5%. Again, I think they're going to like that. But I'm not entirely convinced that the profit figure is exactly where the market uh, wanted it to be on this one today. Net profit of 5 billion Swiss as opposed to 5.29 expected as well. They feel very confident about their US growth, organic growth of 3.6%. We'll come back to this one because it's very heady yeah. aspirations in the shares. They're up 28% over the year so Burnley as a whole, a lot of these food and beverage companies and consumer goods companies are actually having a really good start to the year. Nestle is not an exception. Yes, they are. There. And yeah, I think we, a lot of we'll that's down to the fact that people are desperate for uh, obviously all those lovely things like cash flow and dividend and confidence yes. in tough times. Okay, look, let's move on. Coming up right. on the show, Sangaban backs its full year outlook, but warns of Brexit concerns. We'll speak next to the company's CEO. A CNBC signature event. East Tech West, CNBC's exclusive invitation-only retreat returns to Nanshao, Guangzhou, China in 2019. We explore all things tech from artificial intelligence to 5G. Join the world's most prolific investors, inventors and entrepreneurs as they share their stories and celebrate innovation. Visit EastTechWest.com for an application to attend. Welcome back to the show. Saint-Gobain revenues rose 4.3% in the first half, and the French firm backed its full-year guidance. The construction materials group saw 155 million euros worth of cost cuts over the period. And I'm happy to bring in Pierre-André de Cholandard, the chairman and CEO of Saint-Gobain Group. Uh, sir, thank you very much for taking the time to chat to us. Let's just pick up on your earnings. I see Decent sales growth there, up 3.5 percentage point. Your prices are also up 2.3%. So you've got the sales growth, you've got the pricing power. All this coming at a time when people seem to be quite concerned about the economic backdrop in Europe. So for me, your company is painting a very different picture on the ground. Where is that strength coming from? 
Yeah, that's uh, that's uh, uh, linked to with some self-help. We have so we have uh, we have we have some market share gains, and I think the market in Europe, especially in the construction area, have been better than uh, what people have thought. Especially where I think there is the biggest difference between what the market had in mind and our performance is France. And I think on France, you know, the, stat- the statistics on housing starts have been poor in the last year and a half. But uh, uh, first, you know, there is a, uh, we don't see such a, a drop in activity. And on the other hand, there is a, a, a very good growth in renovation. And I think this is going to, uh, to uh, uh, improve again in the future based on energy renovation. I think, you know, the, 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 the climate issues in many countries in Europe is becoming quite clear for many governments, and there is a, a willingness, and it's especially true in France, to increase energy renovation spend. We have had the 10%, more, more than 10% insulation growth in France in the, in the first half, for instance. It's actually interesting that you mentioned the topic of uh, moving towards sustainable investments because your company produces cement and that features quite high no, up no, the no, greenhouse no, no. emissions. No, no, we don't produce cement. There was a mistake last week about that. We, uh, we produce uh, uh, glass, glass wool, so we produce energy efficient material. We don't produce cement. Okay, understood, sir. Uh, I want to move on and talk about uh, some other businesses. Uh, you're looking to sell some of your distribution businesses in France. You've already completed about 2.8 billion euros worth of sales. Uh, you've said that you're looking to divest about 3 billion by the end of the year. So can we assume that that strategy is still on track? Yes, we are, well, we are nearly completed the objective at, uh, at this moment, and we have a few more projects, so we will, uh, we will get above our objectives. Uh, and this, this objective is part of our, a, a large transformation plan that we have launched at the beginning of the year with a huge reorganization uh, of our activities in terms of, of um, the, the way we look at our market and a, a program of divestments. So we will, uh, we will, um, um, we will surpass our objective of three billion sales. Uh, Pierre-André, uh, how's China looking as well? I noticed just the, the one line in the summary that says Asia-Pacific further growth as well. Is China still the great opportunity for companies such as yourselves or are the challenges just too big? Well, but I have always been cautious on China. So we are more present relatively to many companies in India where we do very well on China. China, we have left China on some businesses where we couldn't compete because of cost of capital and, and large state-owned companies. But where we are uh, in China, we do well at the moment, uh, especially in the construction area. We are more on niche. The market, which is down in China, and we are suffering like many people, is automotive market. Uh, and in terms of the automotive market, I've watched with interest of several months of declining sales in that sector. So many people have got that market wrong as well. Do you see any shining light on the automotive sector or is it going to continue to be pretty horrible? Well, first of all, for Saint-Gobain, you know, there was a 7% decline in the market in the first half. And our sales are slightly positive. So we are clearly overperforming uh, the market. Well, what we are going to see in the second half is that clearly the market started to slow last year uh, in August. So I think the comparison basis will be better. And that's, I think, one reason why, you know, most people in the automotive sector are talking about a slow, uh, I mean, a, 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 an easing of the slowdown. Uh, Piandre, very quick question. I'm doing a straw poll of uh, very important people in business in Europe as well. Is the ECB cutting for you? 
the the ECB, I, I, I would say, you know, for uh, construction and our customers in the housing sector, it's relatively good. Yeah, yeah, but do they? Do your customers need either cheaper financing and quantitative easing, sir? I I, uh, I I I don't think that's uh, that's uh, today. You know, if you have finance at uh, at a very low point, it's not uh, it's not uh, on the other end a major a major boost. Uh, um, but I I think it's uh, it's globally you know positive short term. I am. If, but that's not Saint-Gobain, that's globally. I am a bit more nervous about uh, the increase of debt that we are going to see everywhere. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.